0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth-Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. This class is about um Jewish theology as it filters into the Sidur, and we've been talking about biblical theology and I'm throwing in this week the biblical idea of God as judge, and of course the reason I'm doing it is because we're headed into Yamim Noraim, the high holidays. Um I don't think this is an idea that influences the daily sidur a huge amount. We do say there is a blessing in the middle of the Amidah, Melech Ohev, Mishpat, God who desires justice. But this idea of God judging us, I, I could be wrong. You can argue with me. I just don't think it's a huge theme in the regular weekly sidur. It is, of course, a huge theme in the high holiday sidur. Um, Maybe for for some people's tastes, I understand disproportionate uh, in the high holiday sidur. I know a lot of people are disturbed. A lot of contemporary people say they are disturbed by this idea of God as judge. So um, Near the end of class today, I'll try to give you a l- little counterpoint or antidote to that if you're one of the people who's disturbed by that idea. Um, but I want to spend most of the class actually looking at the roots of that idea in the Bible and then uh, also Mishnah and Talmud um, to see how that idea of God as judge of us on the high holidays, how that gets constructed. What are the building blocks of that theme that we're so familiar with from the mahsor Sorry, turning things, turning things around. Okay. So that's what we're doing uh today. And then I was trying to think of, Oh, is there some other high holiday ish kind of thing we could do next week? But I can't think of one. Does anyone have a request of some, sort of high holiday-ish thing we want to talk about next week having to do with the Sidur. You can think about it from now until 8.45. What about Unetana Token? Ah, we're going to talk about that today because that talks about God as judge. So oh. we're going to do, hopefully we'll cover that today. Okay. Oh. okay. I'm going to try to share my screen with my Word handout, which is going to be attached to the podcast later today which you can find in temple beth on podcast if you just search sidor class or avi EV. okay so um the idea you can see can you see the screen just want to ask michael can you see the handout mm-hmm. okay good okay and i'm gonna skim through some things and you can look at this at home later today if you want so we're pretty familiar with the idea in the Torah of God as judge. Um, so for example, we have the story in Grashi of God, uh, sorry, of Abraham arguing with God about whether or not it's fair for God to destroy the cities of Saddam and Gomorrah. And what, what about if there's some righteous people, wouldn't you spare the, the bad people because of the righteous people, If there's some righteous people, is it right to do? And the zinger of his line uh which, you know, I guess could be applicable. I don't know, it could be could be uttered in probably wasn't uttered in the Israeli Supreme Court hearing today, but I guess could have been. Hashof Kol Haaretz, Loya Samishpat, says Abraham, shall the judge of the whole world not do justly? Okay. So Abraham is taking it for granted. It's kind of a, a rhetorical thing for him to say. Obviously, since you are judge of the world, obviously you want to do justly. So Abraham takes it for granted that God is, that there is an aspect of God, which is um, God as judge. Again, as opposed to creator, we looked at other ideas. God as creator. God is acting in history. We're going to talk about God as having relationships with people a little bit later on, the next few weeks. Okay. And then we have a passage In Sefer Tvarim, Deuteronomy, about appointing judges. And, uh, Moshe says to the people, and these judges really better judge justly. They should not be swayed by injustice. You shall, uh, and we're in, I'm in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 15 through 17. If you're at home and have a Bible, you shall not be partial in judgment. Hear out the low and high alike, meaning whether people are, Big and fancy or whether people are lowly, you should treat them the same. The judges should treat them the same. Fear neither party for judgment is God's. By the way, it's not a hundred percent clear what that line, that little part of the line means in context. Does it mean you human judges need to judge justly because you're supposed to be kind of a representative of God and justice is divine or does it imply because if you pervert justice you will be judged by God right because God is the ultimate judge so in context it's not totally clear what that line judgment is God's actually means what Moshe is saying Um, I'm not going to go into it very much okay Um, but I just want to point out it again it implies or says clearly that there is an aspect of God that is about judgment, okay? And um, and we could cite other places in the Torah, other places in uh, poetic books, the prophets, Psalms, Job, where God is refer- referred to as a judge. So I've just brought two kind of obvious places that come to mind from the Torah. Okay, the idea of God as judge is uh, amplified, um, depicted picturesquely, um, in the pro, the book of Daniel. It's a book of the Bible that we Jews, we modern Jews don't read all that much. You know, it's not part of our regular curriculum. Christians actually, believing Christians know the book of Daniel better than Jews do, um, because it has some prophecies in it that are very important to them. Daniel is one of the later books of the Bible. Um, It's about Daniel, who was a courtier in the Babylonian and then the Persian court. And there are some prophecies which actually seem to depict events all the way up to the revolt of the Maccabees against Antiochus, which means 165 to 162 BCE. But they don't seem to realize that the Maccabees have won. OK, and so there are a lot of contemporary scholars who will say that Daniel was edited sometime before. During the final editing, sometime during the Maccabean Revolt, but before the final victory in 162 BCE, okay? Doesn't really matter. You don't need to know that. A lot of the book of Daniel is in Aramaic, which was the day-to-day language of Jews at that time. It had replaced Hebrew as the day-to-day language. And there are other later books of the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah, that also have long sections in Aramaic. Some is in Hebrew and some is Aramaic in Ezra and Nehemiah, and also um in Daniel, meaning it's kind of a bilingual book. So this passage is in, in Aramaic. Daniel is having a vision. He has lots of visions of things that are happening up there. He has a vision. And in the vision, as I looked on, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Okay? And this seems to be Daniel's epithet for God. The Atikyomin, which for those who are familiar with Kabbalah, is then medieval Kabbalah is then used as an epithet for an aspect of the Godhead in the ten, Sri wrote the ten aspects of God. That phrase comes from Daniel. So the Ancient of Days took his seat. His garment was like white snow and the hair of his head was like lamb's wool, meaning white and fleecy okay and other things around him river of fire thousands of people serving him the court sat and the books were opened okay so anyone who reads this thinks of the high holidays but i wanted to put it i want to take it the other way around which is to say some is some of our imagery from yamim norim of the high holidays is really based on this passage in the book of daniel and a lot of people of course say you know as they they come to be adult Jews, this is an image that I don't know where they got it from, because most people didn't study the book of Daniel growing up. But somehow this is an image that got stuck on their head. God is like a man on a throne with a white beard. And I don't know exactly where else it says that, um, other than in the book of Daniel. So I'm not quite sure how we... we, we Most of us probably somehow imbibed this image. Not clear to me how, Um because it doesn't actually say in the mosque or anything about white beard. Okay. So I don't know quite how we got that, but most of us got that. And many people say they then spend the rest of their life as Jews, you know, thinking through their personal theology, trying to undo that image of God as an old man sitting on a throne with a white beard. And I believe William Blake has some uh nice watercolors of this, the ancient of days. Long, you know, triangular tapering white beard. Um, okay. So this is an image where if I, if we read it, we'd say like, Oh, that's the high holidays, right? But again, I don't think Daniel took it from Rosh Hashanah. I think Rosh Hashanah took it from Daniel. And then in the Talmud, we have several other bits and pieces of this. So in the Mishnah, which is from about the year 200 in Eretz Israel, uh, Mishnah Rosh Hashanah, we have the passage that there are four new years. Four times of the year, the world is judged. Another version of this is there are four different new years. One of them is what we call Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei. And what happens at, right, the, what are the other judgments? Judgments about trees, judgment about produce, meaning four times of the year when God makes decisions about how certain things are going to go. Our Rosh Hashanah is the judgment day of the four where humans are judged. And here's the phrasing of it. Hashanah kol ba'eha olam ovrim kivnei maron. That's what conventional versions of the Mishnah have, which is translated as on Rosh Hashanah, all creatures path, creatures doesn't really mean creatures, it really means humans, I think. Uh, All humans pass before God like, it's translated here as sheep. I'm going to talk about that translation. Um, as it says, that. Okay. And what does it mean to pass before God like sheep? I mean, one question I just want to ask is, what is that, you know, if you just imagine a shepherd, a shepherd, their sheep, what does that look like? We have an image of that from Unatana Tokev, which we're going to read in a few moments. Okay. Um now the Talmud which comments on the Mishnah and discusses it says the following it quotes the line what is the meaning of the phrase B'nai maron Haha targimu here they translate it chivnay amrana like sheep so what that means is the Talmud, which is in Babylonia, the Babylonian Talmud, the Mishnah is from Eretz Israel. The Talmud doesn't understand the phrase, bnei Marom in the Mishnah. And it says, what does that word mean? Okay. So the Mishnah comes from another country a few hundred years before, and they're saying, we don't know what that word means. What does it mean? Oh, here in Babylonia, they translate bnei Marom as sheep. That's one interpretation. Second one, Reish Lakish says, totally different, like the ascent of Beit Maron, which our translator in English interpolates, which was very steep. One standing at the summit could discern all of those climbing the mountain with a single look. Okay, so that's a different image. That means God can, the interpretation of the Mishnah based on Rachel Lakish's understanding of Bnei Maron, is God can see everyone in one glance, just like someone who's standing at the top of some very specific high-up place called the Ascent of Beit Maron, where if you're standing there, you can see everyone who's down in the valley below you. So God judging everyone, God sees everyone all at once, just like if you were standing at the top of Bene Maron, you could see everyone below you all at once. Third interpretation, Amar Rav Yehuda Amar Shmuel, like soldiers of the house of David who could be surveyed with a single glance. Okay? So Rav Yehuda Amar Shmuel is saying, no, 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 it means sort of like an army. So what this means is the phrase Kivnei Maron, which that in the Babylonian Talmud, in a place where they speak Aramaic, they don't understand this word. Now, they knew Hebrew pretty well, right? So why do you think they didn't understand this word? It's not a Hebrew word. By the way, it doesn't appear anywhere else, just so you know, in, in the Bible, okay? So it's, it's unfamiliar to them. So one reason they might not understand it is because um it might not be a Hebrew word. So actually... Early manuscripts of Untanatokif from the Cairo Geniza have a different reading. Sorry, we're going to talk in a moment about tokef, the prayer in the um, High Holiday Mossor. Early manuscripts of the Cairo Geniza, from the Cairo Geniza, of manuscripts of Untanatokev have a different word. They say kivnumeron as one word. It has a vav instead of a yud, and it's one word instead of two words. Kivnumeron, which sounds like what language? What would the foreign language be in the land of Israel in the year 200? Latin. Or? Roman. Well, Latin and Roman is the same thing. Latin or? Greek, right? So it could be Greek or Latin, right? Uh, That would be the foreign language in Eretz Israel, which apparently in Babylonia, when they're receiving the Mishnah, they don't understand what that word means because it's a foreign word, okay? And what word does it sound like, Kiv Numeron? Number. Right. So it may be cognate somehow with the word numerous, all right? And if you look it up in Greek or Latin, it means a large mass number of things it can be used to mean a flock of sheep it can be used to mean a division of the army okay so one way or another it somehow means god is sure all the people are sort of seen and surveyed by god as some mass of individuals okay which, by the way, um, is the verse that's cited in Psalms here in the Mishnah, that God sees all of them, okay? It involves the word yachad, together, and kol. So the Mishnah seems to understand this sentence to mean God somehow sees everyone all at once, okay? Whether that is... um, like a flock of sheep or, uh by the way, if it's like a flock of sheep, it's one image. It's like a shepherd who is, you know, observing all of their sheep. If it's an army, then it's a little bit different. It's like a com- commander surveying the army. It's like roll call, okay, reviewing the army. So these different interpretations give you different I'm gonna say flavors of that. Okay. Um and the Talmud is interesting. It has more it, it quotes the line from the Mishnah about seeing them all at once, and it argues about what is that uh what does that verse from Psalms mean? So you can look at that later on your own. Yes, Michael. But the the image of Shepherd and also of a roll, army roll call is not seeing all at once, it's it's one by one the shepherd counts the sheep one by one as they pass by the and and by by having a roll call it's it's on a one by one basis well, thank you although i want to say ca- counting sheep one by one as they pass by when you make that statement you are you have assimilated the interpretation of untanatokef mm-hmm. already i just want to point out that all the Mishnah says, and as, as interpreted by the Talmud, is, uh, as God, God is, as if the people are sheep, is that God sees them all. You've interpolated the interpretation of one by one, which is Untanatokev's interpretation, which we're going to get to. But I just want to point out, it, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. Okay? By the way, the, the king, or commander, inventorying the troops, it could be Inspection, you know, your button is dirty, or it could just mean the king is seeing the entire uh, king, general, whatever, is seeing the entire army massed before him. Could mean that too. The one by one, the one by one, I just want to say the one by one is an interpretation. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's an interpretation. And, um, and I think you, you assume that interpretation maybe possibly because of the English words I use, possibly because, you know, which we're going to look at in a moment. Okay, one more ingredient that goes into the High Holiday Theology, and this goes back to Daniel's book. I want to look back at Daniel. Does it say book or books? It does say books, books were opened in Daniel. It is plural, okay? By the way, of course, in Daniel... Uh, and Daniel, what's happening, by the way, is Daniel prophet is prophesying about God who's going to judge the nations at the end of time, right? Because he doesn't say what's exactly in the books, right? So the image is like a king in a court who has the, uh, the, the, the kingdom's records or something like that opened before him. Where, where do we have an image of that from elsewhere in the Bible? The king who has the book opened before him. Uh, Purim. Purim, right. So it's uh, there. It's the bedtime reading for the king. They have the it read it to him, right, chapter six, because the king can't sleep. So he says, "Bring me the bring me the annals of the kingdom and read it to me." Okay. Um. So ba- another passage in the Babylon Babylonian Talmud also tractate Rosh Hashanah says Rabbi Crispadai Ama Rabbi Yochanan. We don't know a lot about Rabbi Crispadai. It might be a name that's not familiar to you. What are these books on Rosh Hashanah? There are Three books, and you knew this, right? Because you went to Hebrew school, right? One is the book of totally wicked people. One is the book of totally righteous people. And one is the book of medium people. The totally righteous people, they are written and sealed immediately for life. And that is, by the way, why on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, we say to people, Lishanatovatikatevu vatechatemu, because we want to say to them, I assume that you are a one hundred percent righteous person. I'm certain that today, on the first day, you are in the book of the totally righteous, and so you will be written and sealed today on the first of Tishrei. That's why we say um, we we only say uh, techatemu on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, not the rest of the high holidays. Okay. Um, those who are totally wicked are written and stamped immediately for death. Okay. The medium, which is by far the largest book of all, of course, um, are uh, judgment suspended from Rosh Hashanah, Psalm Yom Kippur. And if they do mitzvot, they're written for life. If they do not do mitzvot, they're written for death. So because you went to Hebrew school, you know, even if you never read this passage in the Talmud, you kind of knew this already. Now let's have a look at how these ideas filter into this one prayer, tokef okay? Which for many people is sort of an an emotional theological uh, high point or point of intensity, a piyut or liturgical poem in the Chazan's repetition of Musaf on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. All right, and here we have it. Let's talk about this mighty awesome day. On this day. Your throne is established, and you sit on it in truth, so we got a little bit of the Book of Daniel here, as well as Rabbi Kripoai in now Rabbi Krispoi just talks about books sorry who did we have a throne in the Talmud yet? no, okay, so we have the book of daniel in 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 brought in to the this piyut, right, going back to it. God sit on the throne because you are the Dion. You are the judge. Different word than show fate. Okay, vitivtach. I underlined the key passages, which were, uh, the key passage, key lines where ideas are taken from all the things we've read and put together, woven together into one prayer. Vitivtach et sefer note, the book of memories, book of records, is opened. Okay, so we had. In the book of Daniel, the Ancient of Days sits in court and books are opened up. We have an Esther that the book is called Sefer Hazichronot, okay, book of records. We have in the Talmud that there are three books, okay, so we have prior shreds of you know, let's call it literary threads about there's a book or books, okay, so God sits on the throne as a judge, there are books, okay, and near the bottom of that box, vichol ba'e olam yavrun l'fanecha maron, all the inhabitants of the world will pass before you, like b'nei maron, which I told you in originally is probably numeron, but Greek and Latin is forgotten by Talmud's times and it became Bene Maron, and which has three interpretations in the Talmud, right? And we see that the author of Unantanatokev picked one of those three interpretations. Which interpretation did the author of the, uh, the author of pick from the Talmud? Sheep. Sheep. Because the next line is Kivakarat Roe Edro as a shepherd inspects his flock passing the sheep under the rod this is where we get the idea of one by one okay? Um, and you're going to pass them all through and then we know in the second paragraph what's God going to do when God inventories the sheep next paragraph of which I didn't include here but you know it so what does God do when God inventories the sheep On Rosh Hashanah. Decide who will live and who will die. Who will live and who will die and how are you going to die if you're going to die. Right? Okay. So that's what the shepherd is doing with the flock. How is the flock going to get culled this year? Okay. And this, of course, is, again, the image that people spend their adult Jewish lives wrestling with or rejecting or being offended by or whatever. Okay. For many people. Maybe not some of you. Now, I'm going to work backwards and say, where does this image of the shepherd inspecting come from? I did an unfair thing, which is I went historical, but then I saved my, my uh, what's that called in gambling? where I don't know, the ace up my sleeve, the, my, the whole card, whatever it's called. But But I saved my card for last, and I went out of order. So this image actually of inventorying sheep or surveying sheep or inspecting sheep. By the way, not 100% what bakara means. It's from the word care, which sort of means not here to visit, but to inspect. Okay. Um, and it comes from the book of Ezekiel chapter 34. This is what we're going to close with. Okay. I wanted to just bring you the salient line, but I, I couldn't. So I brought you the whole chapter of Ezekiel 34, which we're not going to have time to read together. You can read it at home. It's really an incredible. I, I, I didn't have the heart to cut it. It's a magnificent chapter. Ezekiel the prophet in the year 590-ish, 580-ish. Uh, there's going to be destruction. The temple is going to be destroyed. Um, and, uh, as, All of the prophets talk about the bad leaders. You, Israel, have sinned, whether the sin is corruption and bloodshed or the sin is idolatry. And part of why you've sinned is because your leaders were bad. They let you go astray. And the prophets usually, when they criticize, they they criticize four categories of leaders. The prophets prophesied falsely. The priests didn't do their correct Priest job, the teachers of Torah did a bad job, and the fourth category is always at the shepherds. Okay. The shepherds, we assume in the prophets is code language for the king and the royal leadership. And just as in some countries, like in Asia or the Middle East, if you criticize the king, you can get thrown in jail. It's in a, it, you, you're breaking the law. The prophets generally did not have the chutzpah to say and the king is bad. They said the shepherds are bad. And because shepherds is used throughout the Middle East as a metaphor for royalty, everyone understood what they meant. So they said the prophets let you down and the priests let you down and the Torah teachers let you down and the shepherds let you down. Okay. And everyone knows that they're not really talking about you know teenage boys with a staff and flocks of sheep roaming the Judean hillside everyone understands that this is an image or metaphor which means the king and the key, the kingly people, the royal court whatever so ezekiel chapter thirty four is all about how the shepherds have let you down. They are bad shepherds um the shepherds have taken advantage of the flock they eat the fat and they take the wool meaning an image of the political royal class exploiting the poor you did not take care of the strays and the weak sheep okay and actually and you allowed the strong sheep to bully the weak sheep okay and you allowed the sheep you allowed the flock to stray and disperse, you were bad shepherds. Okay, therefore, what am I going to do? Saith the Lord. I'm, I've, I feel bad for for whatever reason. Whenever I copy things from Safaria, I don't the verse numbers don't copy with it, so I don't know why that is. Okay, therefore, saith the Lord, I will go gather the sheep myself. This is like you saying you gave someone a job to do and they did a bad job. And you said exasperatedly, you know, you said, darn it. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm just going to load the dishwasher myself and do it properly. Okay. God is saying, I will just be the shepherd. Okay. And I will go gather of the sheep. And I underline the line. This is what God says. I will go Take thought for my flock, for the darashti. I don't like that translation. I would translate something as I would, something like, I will seek my sheep. Uvikartim. I will seek them out. Eh, again, I, I would do, I would survey them, maybe. Kivakarat roe edro biom he so no, just as a shepherd. And here's this challenging word, which is not common, bakara. Does it mean inventory? Does it mean survey? Does it mean take notice of? Does it mean inspect? Okay, I'm going to settle. And here our our translation from JPS is seek out. I don't really know. I'm going to say inspect. Okay. Like a shepherd amongst his flock inspects his sheep. That is how I will seek out or inspect or inventory or something. My sheep, I understand all those English translations have a very different connotation. I don't need to gloss that over, okay? And I will save them, rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered. And then, of course, what do you think God is going to do? God is going to gather all the sheep, bring them back, to Eretz Israel, put them in a good pasture and I will seek out the weak and the sick and the ailing and I will make sure they can, they're taken care of. Um, and then I will give them a new shepherd who is going to be David, meaning a good king from the Davidic line. And we will all live happily ever after. Okay. Um, it's really a great chapter. I, 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 I can't demand. I challenge you all to go read. Ezekiel, all of chapter 34 at home. So why did I bring this? So it's always an interesting question when, I'm going back to Untanatoke, it's always an interesting question when an author of liturgy takes a snippet from previous literature like the Bible, which they often do, and they put it in the context of their prayer did they just kind of like the words and it fit or are they meaning to cue you to think of that? Remember, this is biblical literature. Um, sorry, rabbinic literature. So they assume you know the whole Bible, which I understand you might not know the whole Bible, but I, I'm going to argue the author of Unatanatoketh assumes you know Ezekiel chapter 34. That's an argument that I'm making. Can't prove it. And question, I don't want to say it as strongly as an argument. I'm just going to say it as a question. Does the offer, the author of Untana Tokef want you to think of Ezekiel chapter 34 when he uses the very unique, no, it's found nowhere else, by the way. It's in Yechezkel, prophet Ezekiel and in Untana Tokef. And notice it. by the way, it's not in the Mishnah passages and it's not in the Talmud passages. OK, um, does the author of Antoinette want you to flash in your mind on Ezekiel chapter 34? Because and here's my punchline, my ace in the hole. What's the connotation of the shepherd and the sheep in Ezekiel chapter 34? What's the image call up before you? hierarchy the leaders and the and and the subjects mm-hmm. the shepherd i'm going to go out and gather the sheep myself the weak sheep who weren't taken care of i i would say hierarchy is not the first thing that would come I, to my you mean mind. you mean the shepherd you mean the shepherd is god replacing the shepherd i'm saying in ezekiel chapter 34 when god says i am the shepherd i will go gather out all of the scattered sheep and I will look after them and I will take care of the weak ones and I will gather them together. What's the image, uh the the feeling, I, I guess, of that shepherd and sheep, Michael? Well, I was going to say that in Ezekiel, I would say that the image is one of subjugation. If you're talking about the king and the people. Whoa, you guys are like, oh, I thought I had the ace in the hole and you guys are going in a totally different direction. OK, to me, the shepherd who is going to gather the scattered sheep that were not taken care of, okay, and gathering the the weak ones and the scattered ones and bringing them all together and taking them to a good pasture, in my mind, is not an image of subjugation. In my mind, it is an image of care for the sheep. Am I missing something? Are we reading a different chapter? I don't know, right? God is saying, You shepherds, you did a crappy job of your job. You didn't take care of the sheep. They scattered. The weak ones got worse. The big ones bullied the weak ones. You were bad shepherds. (sighs) Exasperation. I'm going to go and do it myself. Okay? The way a good shepherd ought to do it. Close parentheses. I will go gather all the scattered sheep from all the places they are scattered. I'm going to go find them. I'm going to go take care of them. I'm going to make sure that the weak ones are part of the herd as well. Okay, so in my mind, this is an image of a caring shepherd. I guess I'm arguing with you. Uh, no. In my mind, this is not an image of subjugation. This is not, I guess there is hierarchy. You know, the shepherd is the shepherd and the sheep is the sheep. But in my mind, in Ezekiel chapter 34, the image of Kivakarat roe edro. I God will some verb inspect or or um or again I'm going to JPS. I still don't like the JPS translation, I have it, to say.
1: I'll uh, be con- uh-huh. question-
0: Yeah, go ahead. I understand what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. But here, here's what, here's what I think. No, no, nope. nope. I'm going to interrupt you. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to take teacher's prerogative. Sorry. I'm just going to read from Ezekiel. I will look for the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bandage the injured and I will sustain the weak. I will tend them rightly. Okay. You rams and bucks, you can't be trampling the weak ones. Okay, so I'm going to decide between the stout animals and the lean. I understand I'm doing something unfair. I've read Ezekiel, I've read all chapter 34 carefully, and you haven't done that. So that's an unfair thing. So the image of God as shepherd in Ezekiel 34 is the human shepherds did a bad job, and they have failed their flock. I'm going to go be a good shepherd. And what a good shepherd does is kivakarat roe edro. So I just want to suggest or ask the author of Untanatokeh, when he uses, I say he, when the author uses this very distinctive phrase of the shepherd, in Ezekiel, does the author, I'm trying to get back to Untanatokeh, sorry, does the author of Untanatokeh want you to think of the shepherd who culls the herd? which is suggested by the following part, Berosh Hashanayi Yom or is the author of Untan containing a, I don't exactly want to call it a counter message, I'm going to call it a different feeling and a different message. Does the author of Untanatokef Assume, you know, Yehezkel chapter 34 and the image of God as the shepherd who is looking after God's entire flock. It's an image of caretaking rather than judgment. So it's really interesting. So we have Untanatokeh opening with God as judge sitting on the throne with a book. Everyone's going to pass before you like benumeron, whatever that means. At God assessing the masses, whether it's soldiers, whether it's sheep. The author of Untanatokev has opted for sheep and then says, quote something from Yehezkel, which is like God who gathers, again, the whole chapter is God who gathers inventories takes care of the sheep and brings them to a good pasture, and then jumps to, I didn't bring the rest of Untanatokiev, who shall live and who shall die? So then my question, which I'm going to leave hanging, because I don't think we can answer it, because you can never answer what's the poet's intent, is did the poet of Untanatokiev just think of sheep and say, I'm going to, all right, I'm just going to pull this thing from Ezekiel about sheep and it fits into the context of God deciding who shall live and who shall die or is the author actually wanting to contain a different image of God after he said, after the author said God is judge is then, does the author of I and I want to argue for the possibility that the author of tokef assumes you know Ezekiel 34, and wants you to think of the image of not God who is deciding which sheep are going to be slaughtered this season, but God who takes care of all the sheep in a way that the humans failed to. We have two minutes for discussion. Question, comment? I'm going to stop sharing. Well, mean, can can I... Yeah, Larry, briefly, leanly, please. Very leanly, I won't say what I wanted to say before. Clearly the Unantana is more the Yahzku, the Ezekiel view, because it ends with Uchuva Tfila Utsdaka. It's telling us God's not just judging, yeah. God is giving us the opportunity to change the judgment. And a good and that's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd doesn't say, Oh, you went to the wrong place, I'm gonna punish you. It says now I get trying to get you to the right place. Yeah. So, Although now so- you're, now you're, I do want to say now you're, 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 I don't know. You're, I don't mind what you're doing. You're, you're, you're stretching the theology of the image. That's okay. To the rest of the prayer, because I'm not sure that the shepherd, if the shepherd is culling the flock, I'm not sure that the shepherd actually gives the sheep an opportunity to change their actions. So I just want to say, that's where you're leaving the metaphor of the sheep, which is fine with me, right? You're saying the author has use the metaphor of the sheep and then has kind of left it because they're not sheep they're people okay and people have the opportunity to change and change their verdict which i would just submit i'm not a never been a professional shepherd but i don't know that that actually happens when it comes to sheep it's an it's an image though of benevolence either yes, way yes correct correct benet thank you for capturing that okay so baccarat wrote, so i just want to suggest is it possible that the author of Unatanona Tokev, in this prayer that we think is all about judgment and who shall live and who shall die, has sneakily brought in an image that's meant to make you think of God's benevolence rather than God as the judge, with the three books. okay? So and again, I want to I, I, I'm not saying these are mutually exclusive. And it may be that the author of is taking the image of judge, which is judgmental, judgy, and the image of benevolent shepherd, and yoking them together to yield, you know, a plus b equals c, right? C equal, or, you know, something new, right? It's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals something new. The something new is benevolent judge, which you might say. Is foreshadowed by Rabbi Kruspadai Amarab Yochanan, because there are three books. Okay. And if you're in the middle book, things can be changed. Right. Other comment. It's 901. I think we got to wrap up, but I, I, I want to leave you with this and I want you to, uh, my assignment between now and next week. I want you to go home and read Ezekiel chapter 34 and whatever image, uh, whatever translation you have, or it's going to be in the in the attached to the podcast thing we send out later today. Um, because I want you to have a little bit of, I'm going to call it marinating with the image of God's benevolence, because I'd like that to be in your mind when you daven untanatokef on this coming Shabbos and Sunday. So Shana Tova to all.